Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Wednesday, the 28th of October. India's COVID-19 tally inched closer to the 8 million or 80 lakh mark with an addition of over 43,000 new cases. A little over 500 deaths were reported in the last 24 hours, taking the nationwide death toll to 1.2 lakh. Over 72 lakh people have recuperated from the infection, while over 6.1 lakh cases are still active. According to data from the ICMR, 10.5 crore samples have been tested nationwide for COVID-19. The Directorate of Civil Aviation said today that the suspension of scheduled international passenger flights would be extended till November 30th due to the pandemic. International passenger services have been suspended in India since March 23rd. Only special flights have been operating under the Vande Bharat mission since May. Apart from that, flights are operational under the bilateral air bubble arrangements with selected countries since July. Now moving on to some COVID-19 updates from different states. Deputy Chief Minister of Delhi Manish Sisodia announced today that all schools in Delhi will remain shut until further orders in view of the COVID-19 situation. He also added that parents of students were not in favour of opening up schools either. The Delhi government had earlier announced that schools would remain shut till October 31st. The Director General of the Indian Council of Medical Research or ICMR, Dr. Balram Bhargav, said yesterday that long-term exposure to air pollution could contribute to the mortality in COVID-19 cases. Citing various American and European studies on the same, he said, and I quote, There have been studies where they have looked at polluted areas and compared mortality during the lockdown and its correlation with pollution. They found that pollution is clearly contributing to mortality in COVID-19 and that's well established by these studies. Unquote. This is particularly important in the case of Delhi and North India where annual air pollution during winter months is becoming worse with each passing year with the air quality dropping to dangerously low levels. The Mizoram government, meanwhile, has imposed a seven-day lockdown in Aizwal yesterday. This was done as a part of the government's measures to check the spread of COVID-19 in the state capital, where several coronavirus cases with untraceable contacts have been recorded in the last few days. Jammu and Kashmir leaders yesterday condemned the central government's new land laws in the Union Territory. The centre on Monday had amended and notified land laws for Jammu and Kashmir and explicitly eliminated the protection that was earlier available to its permanent residents. The amendments have sparked fears amongst locals as land in the region could earlier only be owned by permanent residents. As per the amended laws, urban or non-agricultural land has now been opened up for purchase by outsiders. The new laws permit contract farming on agricultural lands and provide for setting up of an industrial development corporation. In addition, they protect zones identified for development from the application of various laws that earlier ensured ownership remained with permanent residents of Jammu and Kashmir. However, these new amendments are not applicable to the Union Territory of Ladakh. National Conference leader and former Jammu and Kashmir Chief Minister Omar Abdullah criticised the amendments. He said, and I quote, Jammu and Kashmir has been put up for sale and left bereft of any basic protections. The amendments add to the fear of demographic changes. They want to alter the character of this place. Unquote. The Alliance of Parties in Jammu and Kashmir called the People's Alliance for Gupkar Declaration described the central government's action as a huge betrayal. 
This alliance comprises of the National Conference, PDP, CPI, CPM and the People's Conference and was formed by the parties with the motive of leading a constitutional battle to restore the rights that Jammu and Kashmir residents had before the abrogation of Article 370. Imagine Srinagar 15 years from now. Instead of spools of barbed wire ringing the iconic Lal Chowk, there are slick shopping malls. The Dal Lake, instead of being impinged upon by houseboats, is a conservation site with floating gardens. The bypass road skirting the city's southern and western edges is the gateway to a special investment corridor. This is Kashmir's capital envisioned in the Srinagar Master Plan of 2035. What is behind this vision? Who is it for? And crucially, was it merely a coincidence that this vision of the city's future appeared just a few months before the Kashmiri people were stripped of their constitutional safeguards? To find out, read Avita Das's piece titled Was Kashmir Being Readied for a Demographic Change Even Before Article 370 Was Scrapped? You'll find the article on newslaundry.com. A 21-year-old woman was shot dead on Monday by two men outside her college in Balabgar in Faridabad district. The incident took place at 3 p.m. outside Agarwal College in Balabgar. The woman, who was identified as Nikita Tomar, was a final-year BCom student. The two accused men in the case tried to push her into a car at gunpoint while she was on her way out of the college after writing an exam. A video shows the woman trying to resist their attempts and protect herself from getting shot. After her attempts at refusal, she was shot dead with a pistol. She succumbed to her injuries during treatment at a hospital. The two accused, identified as Tosif and Rehan, have been arrested and sent to police custody for two days. Haryana Chief Minister Manohar Lal Khattar yesterday assured strict action against the accused. Balabgar's additional commissioner of police, Jaivi Rati, said Tosif and Rehan had been waiting in a car for Tomar to come out of college. The victim's family, meanwhile, has alleged that the killing was linked to love jihad. Relatives have also said that they had filed a police complaint against Tosif, the main accused in 2018, but the matter was later settled. Tomar's family accused Tosif, her former classmate, of having harassed her for several months. In the family's complaint, the victim's brother said that he had shot her because of a grudge. A Delhi court has said that the anti-CAA stirs were meant to provoke disaffection against the country. While refusing bail to 27-year-old Jamia Millia Islamia student Asif Iqbal Tanha, the Sessions Court said, and I quote, vociferous agitation in the guise of citizenship amendment bill coupled with other activities of violence would show that it was meant to cause or intended to cause disaffection against India, unquote. This is the second time that Tanha, who has been charged under the stringent Unlawful Activities Prevention Act or UAPA in the Northeast Delhi riots case, was refused bail. Tanha was accused by the police of having conspired with former JNU students Umar Khalid and Sharjil Imam to overthrow the government by setting up a chakka jam, meaning a road blockade, in Muslim-dominated areas of Delhi. Police have also alleged that Tanha used fake documents to buy a mobile phone SIM card to use in the riots. This SIM card was subsequently provided to another Jamia student and co-accused Safura Zargar to organize further protests. Tanha's lawyer at the hearing argued that organizations like the Jamia Coordination Committee, which coordinated the protests against the citizenship law, or the Students' Islamic Organization, were not characterized as terrorist organizations under the UAPA. In response, the additional sessions judge Amitabh Rawat said, and I quote, 
acts which threaten the unity and integrity of India, causing social disharmony, creating terror in any section of the people by making them feel surrounded, resulting in violence, is also a terrorist act. Unquote. While Judge Rawat agreed that these groups were not proscribed under the UAPA, he added, and I quote again, We have to understand terrorist activity as per Section 15 of the UAPA describing terrorist acts. Unquote. He also added that there was also no manner of doubt that every citizen could hold an opinion about any legislation which they had construed as fair in their understanding, and all citizens had the right to protest against any law. However, he added, and I quote again, What actually has to be seen in the context of the present case is whether there was a conspiracy which led to riots under the guise of protests against the CAA or not, in terms of the contents of the charge sheet. Unquote. In another update about the communal violence that broke out in Delhi in February this year, the Supreme Court today refused to cancel the Delhi High Court's order granting bail to Pindra Thor activist Devangana Kalita. The Delhi High Court had granted bail to Kalita on 1st of September, stating that the police had not found any evidence of her making an instigating speech. Kalita was named in the Delhi police's charge sheet along with other activists, which had essentially stated that the February violence had been a part of a larger conspiracy to defame the Modi government. Listeners, those of you who follow News Laundry must know that our reporters, Ayush and Basant, have been consistently covering the Delhi riots and the subsequent investigation being conducted by the Delhi police. Both of them have filed multiple reports for our Deep Dive News Laundry Sena series, which is an initiative by News Laundry that allows readers like you to fund the stories that you want to hear. In case you've not read their reports, I urge you to do so as soon as you're done listening to this podcast. Also, I hope you realize the risk that they take each time they go to cover these stories. So if you think they deserve your support for their work, do read their reports, share them on your social media handles, make your friends and family members read them too. And also subscribe to News Laundry so we can keep showing you the complete picture, something that a lot of our legacy media houses will not do. And you know why? Because they are dependent on advertisers and sponsors, which very often happens to be the government. News Laundry, on the other hand, is 100% free of advertisements for this very reason. Now, through Ayush and Basant's reports on the case, we have seen how the Delhi police's investigation is majorly botched. Fake eyewitness statements, Muslims being arrested for murdering Muslims in what was clearly a communal riot is just the tip of the iceberg. In their latest report, Ayush and Sukriti covered the Delhi police's investigation into the murder of three men, Ashwak Hussain, Mehtab Khan and Zakir Ahmed. They were killed on the third day of the riots, which can easily be called the most violent day. The report is titled, Delhi Carnage, How Muhammad Arif Turned Hindu and Lynched His Uncle. You'll find the report on newslaundry.com. Voting took place in Bihar today for 71 assembly constituencies in the first phase of the three-phase elections. More than 2 crore voters will be deciding the fate of over 1,000 candidates across these assembly segments. Voting ended at 6pm today. COVID-19 patients were made to cast their votes in the last hour. Meanwhile, an 18-year-old boy was shot dead and some people injured in a firing on Monday night in Bihar's Munger district. The incident took place in the aftermath of clashes during the immersion of Goddess Durga in the area. A video that was widely circulated on social media showed the police lati charging on a group carrying a Durga idol. The police claimed that there were antisocial elements in the group that were throwing stones at them. When the situation escalated, the police reportedly fired. 
Markets remain shut in the Munger area today to protest against the administration's actions against Durga Puja devotees. This issue, incidentally, found its way into the campaign rallies of major opposition candidates like Tejasvi Yadav and Chirag Paswan, who accused the Nitish Kumar government of having played a role in the incident. Eleven digital news organizations came together to launch Digipub News India Foundation yesterday in order to create a healthy news ecosystem for the digital age. A press release announcing the launch of the association read, and I quote, Digipub News India Foundation has been created to represent, amplify and evolve best practices to build a robust digital news ecology that is truly world-class, independent and upholds the highest standards of journalism. Unquote. The founding members of the organization are Alt News, Article 14, Boom Life, Cobra Post, HW News, News Click, News Laundry, Scroll, News Minute, Quint and The Wire. Membership is limited to digital news outlets and journalists currently operating in India. Uniquely for such organizations though, Digipub is open to independent and freelance journalists working in the digital media space. In India, TV news channels and newspapers have self-regulators like the News Broadcasting Association and the Press Council of India. But there was no such body representing digital-only media organizations and Digipub seeks to fill that vacuum. Incidentally, another body claiming to represent India's digital media was launched recently by Republic TV, India News, NewsX, Sunday Guardian and Op India among others. This association is called the Indian Digital Media Association. And now for some international updates on coronavirus. Over 44 million people have been infected by COVID-19 so far and more than 1.17 million have died due to the disease. Nearly 500,000 people have contracted COVID in the United States over the last seven days as new cases and hospitalizations set records in the Midwest. The US has the highest number of infections worldwide with more than 8.7 million people who have contracted the virus. Its death toll, also the world's largest, stands at more than 226,000. Ironically, however, the White House, while listing its accomplishments this year, mentioned, and I quote, ending the COVID-19 pandemic. A news release accompanying a 62-page report from the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy includes, among the highlights to be found in the report, the phrase, ending the pandemic. The Daily Telegraph in England, in a shocking report published this morning, reported that the British government is privately working on the assumption that the second wave of coronavirus will be more deadly than the first one, with the death toll remaining high throughout the winter. Internal analysis cited by The Telegraph shows that while deaths will peak at a lower level than earlier this year, they will remain at high level for weeks or even for months. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.